Well, uh, welcome to All Nations, and thank you for joining us again. Uh, we're continuing our series uh, through the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis. And just to catch you up, I want to recap uh, what we've learned thus far. Since Genesis 37, Joseph's life has been full of betrayal and despair. Uh, his mother, Rachel, uh, she died when he was very young, and Joseph was actually his father Jacob's favorite son. Uh, but his 10 older brothers, they despised him for this. His father gave him a special robe, and he would wear it. And every time he was wearing the robe, the brothers would remi- were reminded that father favors Joseph over us. So they despised him. And to make matters worse, God came to Joseph in a dream, and Joseph shared the contents of that dream, which was actually a revelation that one day his brothers would bow down before him that one day his brothers and his parents would bow down before him. And he wasn't saying that out of pride. He wasn't telling them to bow down. He was saying that God came to me in a dream. God gave me a vision and that this was going to happen. Well, his brothers were enraged. His father pondered it in his heart, but his brothers were enraged. And so they conspired to kill him. But instead they settled on selling him into slavery and they faked his death, right? So they were gonna kill him but they said, decided, okay, let's just sell him to slavery, and they faked his death. Then Joseph ended up as a slave in the house of Potiphar, who was an Egyptian official. And Joseph did well there, and he flourished, and he rose to become number two in Potiphar's household. But Potiphar's wife had lusty eyes for him, and she tried to seduce him, and she made advances towards him. But Joseph honorably resisted. He fled from that temptation But then she falsely accused him of trying to force himself upon her. And she ended up with his cloak and brought that before Potiphar saying, Joseph tried to force himself upon me. Joseph ended up in a royal jail. And the only silver lining to that story is the fact that Joseph wasn't executed, right? He probably should have been executed, but Potiphar spared him and just sent him to jail. Now, while in jail, Joseph meets two other Egyptian officials who were also under sentence. One was a baker and another was a cupbearer. And they were both servants to Pharaoh. And while they were in jail, they had dreams the same very night. And they were troubled. They were haunted by these dreams. And they they said, can anyone help us? Joseph noticed that they were troubled. And he said, why are you troubled? And they said, we've had these dreams. Tell me your dreams. Perhaps God will show us favor and allow me to interpret them. And then God gives Joseph the power to interpret them correctly. And after three days, the cupbearer was restored to his position in the court of Pharaoh while the baker was hanged. The baker was hanged. So uh, just to let you guys know, not all prophecies are favorable, right? Not all prophecies are favorable. One guy got to go back to the court. The other guy was hanged at the gallows. Joseph remained in jail hoping that that cupbearer would one day remember him and commend him to Pharaoh. But Joseph was forgotten, left to rot in an Egyptian jail. And here we pick up the story. So that's where Joseph's been, just a downward spiral, right, of pain and sorrow. And here we are in Genesis 41. If you have your Bibles, would you please turn there? Genesis chapter 41. I'll be reading from the ESV. And uh, if you didn't bring your Bibles... uh, It'll go up on the screen. May God bless the reading of his holy word. After two whole years, 
Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows, and Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time, and behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears, and Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And he interpreted it to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream. And there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph said to Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Amen. The word of the Lord. Well, today, as we continue to look at the life of Joseph, we're going to see his rise to power up out of the pit, out of the mire, his rise in Egypt and the unfolding of God's sovereign plan in his life. Up until now, even though Joseph has done nothing wrong, even though Joseph has lived rightly before God, everything has been a downward spiral for him. He lost his mother. He was sold into slavery. He was wrongly imprisoned. And though it seemed that everyone had forgotten about him, we see that God is not. God has not forgotten Joseph. God remembers Joseph, and God elevates him, not only for his own sake, but as we're going to see, for the sake of the whole world. The first point we're going to look at today is a call to remember the matchless power of God. I normally have three points. I normally lay them all out. I'm only going to give them out one by one today. Ah, no takers. We'll see who's awake. All right. So the first point is a call to remember the matchless power of God. In Genesis 41, we're told that Pharaoh has two dreams, right? One where he sees seven sleek, healthy cows eating by the Nile. And these cows are devoured by seven ugly, thin cows. And he has another dream where seven healthy ears of grain are swallowed up by seven thin ears of grain. And this dream, these dreams are so disturbing that Pharaoh wakes up in great distress And he calls to his magicians. He calls to his wise men and he says, everybody come, help me interpret these dreams. Help me make sense of these nightmares. And they all come, they hear him out, they try to help, but none could interpret them to Pharaoh. Now this is significant in a multitude of ways. First, it undermines the power of Pharaoh. In ancient Egypt, 
Pharaoh was himself considered to be a god. Pharaoh is, was above his people, not just in rank, right? But in divinity, he was considered a god. But here he is, here in Genesis 41. He's a powerless god, and he needs the help of others. He doesn't even know how to make sense of his own dreams and his own nightmares. And so we see this Egyptian godlike figure, Pharaoh, powerless. Second, we see the scene undermining the religious cult of Egypt, the magicians of Egypt. You see, the magicians in Egypt, they had two primary functions. Number one, they were supposed to interpret signs. They were supposed to be able to interpret dreams, right? So that was part of their job description. The second thing that magicians were supposed to do is use their magical powers to heal heal people, right, for medical purposes. They didn't have, you know, all of those surgeons and doctors back in the day available. They didn't have Kaiser Permanente, right? And so they would call magicians for healing. They would call magicians for, for these instances. But here we see that all the magicians, all the wise men, all of the leaders in Egypt, they are rendered helpless and powerless. It reminds me of that old nursery rhyme, right? Humpty Dumpty, where all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again, right? It's just that kind of imagery. Pharaoh is distraught. The magicians are distraught. The wise men are distraught. Everyone is, is stressed and unable to help their great king. And it's in this moment when God causes the cupbearer who had forgotten Joseph for two long years, the guy that, that gave him this favorable interpretation that told him you were gonna get out in three days. For two whole years, the cupbearer had forgotten Joseph. God causes him to remember him. See, this is what Joseph said when he blessed and helped the cupbearer in, in chapter 40. Only remember me when it is well with you and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. For two long years, the cupbearer had forgotten about Joseph. But church, God had not. Okay? God had not forgotten about him. And God was sovereignly using this moment to cause the cupbearer to remember him. And if you think about it, it's pretty understandable for the cupbearer to not want to bring up Joseph because he doesn't want to bring up the fact that he was once in prison. No one wants to talk about their time in jail, right, guys? No one wants to talk about their time in jail. The cupbearer doesn't want to say, hey, Pharaoh, remember when you put me in jail, right? Or maybe it's, remember when you falsely accused me, but then I got out, right? Maybe you made a mistake. No one wants to say that to their own bosses. So the cupbearer was probably just preserving himself by not bringing up Joseph, but finally he has to speak. And he says, when I was in jail, Pharaoh, I met a young Hebrew who interpreted my dream accurately, and he may be able to help you. And so Pharaoh, just at wit's end, desperate, he calls Joseph before him. Here I want to pause and reflect upon two very important truths that God has for us today. First, it's this. The God of this world, the gods of this world, are powerless compared to the God of Joseph. Okay, that's what chapter 41 tells us. The gods of Egypt, the gods of this world are powerless compared to the God of Joseph. Do you believe this? We find it so, we, we try so hard to forecast the future, don't we? We try so hard to secure our own well-being. Think about the last time you were distressed, the last time you were struggling, the last time you were troubled. 
Where did you go? What did you do? Did you hit up the internet and look for solutions, right? Solutions for your life? Church, is Google your wise man? Okay. I think for many of us, Google is our magician. Google is our, yeah, or Alexa, not Siri. I mean, I have an iPhone. I love it. Siri is completely helpless, right? Or do you run to others? Do you run to others for help and advice? Are your peers, are your parents, your primary counselors? And today we are reminded to go to God. Not that we shouldn't research and look for books and articles and resources to help us. Not that we shouldn't talk to others and glean wisdom and counsel from them. The problem is those are the primary and oftentimes only places we go. And today I want to ask you, do you go to God? Do you consider him as your greatest counselor, your greatest source of wisdom? We are reminded today to go to God a God who holds all things in his hands, a God who knows our present, a God who knows our future and is able to minister to us in our distress. Friends, for too many of us, our God is too small. Our God is too small. We've made him a God of Sunday mornings and a few devotional moments here and there. I just wanna say it's so foolish for us to trust him with our eternal life but neglect him with our every days, okay? So many of us trust him to get us into heaven, our eternal life, but we don't trust him for today, to get us through today's troubles, to answer today's questions and problems. And I wanna ask you today, is your God powerless like those Egyptians' gods, or is he powerful like the God of Joseph? Consider your relationship with God right now. The second thing this text uh, leads us to consider is to learn from Joseph what it means to wait on God. And this we must do in faith. We are called to wait on God in faith. How long was Joseph in prison? Not two days, not two weeks, not two months, but two long years wasting away in the pit, okay? That's where he was, not in some nice, royal, comfortable prison. Pharaoh said, go get Joseph, and they had to go down to some kind of Egyptian prison pit to get him. He was down there for two years. And today, if you are here in distress and you are waiting for God for an answer, you're seeking his help, I want to encourage you not to give up. I want to encourage you to be long-suffering. I want to encourage you to wait on him and do not waver in faith. And I want to say, do not misinterpret the silence of God as his abandonment. Okay, there's too many of us who feel like God isn't answering, he's not speaking, he's not moving according to our timeline and in our preference, and so we think, God, you've abandoned us. Friends, did God abandon Joseph for two years? No. God may have been silent, he may have felt distant, but God had never abandoned Joseph. We must learn that from him today. Join the psalmist who prays wonderfully and beautifully in Psalm 73. This is what Asaph concludes when he is struggling and he's coveting the success of others. He says this, whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and heart may fail, but God is my strength, is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's where God wants to lead us today. We can look to the gods of this world We can look to the counselors of this world and God wants us to conclude this. 
Whom, am, whom have I in heaven but you? There's no one but God. There's no one like God. Would you go to him? Would you wait on him? Let's continue in our text. Next, as we see the power of God who remembers his servant, Joseph. This is what happens when God remembers his servant. Pharaoh, who has now come to an end of himself and the end of Egyptian magic, right? He's tried to figure it out. His magician, his wise men, they're all useless. And so what does he do? He calls on the help of a Hebrew criminal. Think about that, right? He calls on the help of a Hebrew criminal. That's pretty radical. And he calls on Joseph out of prison into his court. We're told that Joseph quickly shaves, right? He cleans up, he changes his clothes, and he presents himself to Pharaoh. We don't know what Joseph was doing for two years, but we know that he was ready, that he was staying ready for a moment such as this. When Pharaoh meets him, he tells him in verse 15b, I've had a dream and there's no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And what's so special about Joseph's answer is that he's not feigning humility. He's not faking it. He's actually demonstrating boldness for God. You see, Joseph could have used this as an opportunity to leverage himself, right? Pharaoh was saying, I heard you're the man. He said, that's right, I am the man, right? I am the one you need. You see, these magicians, these wise men, they got nothing on me, me and Yahweh, right? He doesn't go there. He says, it's not in me, right? It's of God. He knows that his ability to interpret dreams is completely a result of God's empowerment. And so he's calling Pharaoh not to trust him. He's not, he's not saying, Pharaoh, trust me, believe in me, but he's calling Pharaoh. This is evangelism right now. He's saying, trust in Elohim, the almighty God of Israel. And furthermore, when Joseph promises Pharaoh that he will receive a favorable answer, you guys all know this word in Hebrew. It's called shalom. He says, God will give you shalom. Okay? It's not in me, but God can give you shalom. And that means peace, right? We all know that. And he's saying, if you trust in God, God will give you peace. And Pharaoh is desperate for it. And so Pharaoh accepts Joseph's proposition. He accepts this offer from a Hebrew criminal. He accepts this help from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not the Egyptian gods, right? I only know Ra, the sun god. I can't remember any of the other Egyptian gods, but we know that there is a plethora of them, right? Pharaoh says, okay, I will seek the help of Elohim. Man, Joseph is such an evangelist right here. And so Pharaoh proceeds to retell him his dreams, the dreams about the cows, the dreams about the ears of grain. Joseph interprets the two dreams and he says they mean the same thing. The seven healthy cows and the seven healthy grains, they represent seven years of harvest and plenty that they will come. And then the seven thin cows and the seven thin grains that come next, they represent the famine, a famine that will follow. And Joseph tells him that this famine will be so devastating, it will be as if the seven years of previous plenty never existed. You can have this bountiful harvest, but next there's going to come this, this east wind and this famine that's going to devastate the land so much that you will have forgotten the good days. You will have forgotten the good times. And that's why those skinny cows eat the big cows. 
That's why those thin grains eat the healthy, uh, vibrant grains. Then Joseph tells Pharaoh what he should do in light of this dream, that he should set aside one-fifth of the harvest each year to prepare for the famine. And he says, you should appoint a wise man over all of Egypt to oversee this. This proposal pleases Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh looks at his court. He looks at his officials. He looks at his own wise men. Then he looks at at Joseph. And what do you think he does? He says, that's a good plan. I want you to be that man. He decides to make Joseph the head over all of Egypt, second only to himself. To put it in a modern context, Joseph in an instant has now become the prime minister of Egypt, okay? Think about England. There's a king and there's also a prime minister, right? And the prime minister minister is governing the lands. Pharaoh appoints him. He clothes him. He even gets him married to a priest's daughter, which is kind of like royalty, And now Joseph, at the age of 30, has risen to great power and great influence. He went from prison to prime minister in one conversation. That's powerful, right? That's favor right there. And all this has come not because of Joseph's abilities, not because of his own maneuvering, but because of God's grace. Because God had not forgotten Joseph. Because God had remembered Joseph. Not only does Joseph rise to power, but he's also blessed with children. And here we see so much of Joseph's heart. In verses 51 and 52, these are Joseph's reflections as he looks back on his journeys, on his hardships, and where he's come now. This is what he says. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The the name of the second child he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Okay, those are two beautiful names, Manasseh and Ephraim. On the human level, it looks as if God, or it looks as if Pharaoh has made Joseph. Pharaoh accepted him. Pharaoh liberated him, liberated him from prison. Pharaoh raised him up to power to save Egypt. However, we see that in truth, God was the one who was working all of this out in Joseph's life. God was the one who was redeeming him and saving him and giving him favor. And so Joseph gives God all the glory for remembering him and making him fruitful. Now, why did he do this? Okay, let's ask this. Why did God bless Joseph, right? Why did he raise him up from prison to prime minister in one day? Why did he grant him so much favor and give him so much power and so many blessings, This is the third point today, the purpose of God in Joseph. And we're going to see the answer in our final verses today, verses 56 and 57. This is what uh, Moses, the author of Genesis, writes. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. Famine has now hit the land. So we have to fast forward, okay? Seven years of plenty, and now seven years of famine has hit the land, not just Egypt, but the author says the entire earth. And God exalted Joseph from a prisoner to a prime minister for a moment such as this, to become an instrument to save the world. This was Joseph's purpose. This was God's plan. Back in Genesis 12, you know what God told Abraham? He told Abraham, not only that I'm going to bless you, 
Not only that I'm going to make you a great nation, but God told Abraham in Genesis 12, I'm going to bless the nations through you. All the families of the earth, Abraham, are going to be blessed through you. And here in Genesis 41, we see a partial fulfillment of that promise. Joseph, the son of Jacob. Jacob, the son of Isaac. Isaac, the son of Abraham. Joseph became a blessing to the world. And this promise finds its greatest fulfillment in Jesus Christ, the true son of Abraham. Do you see that? God used Joseph to help feed the world, to help save the world, and all of that finds its greatest fulfillment in Jesus Christ. You see, the story of Joseph is not merely about him. And this story of Joseph is not merely about you and I thinking, man, if we wait on God, one day we're going to get rich. If we wait on God, one day we're going to be running things like Joseph was running things. No, the story of Joseph points to the story of Jesus Christ. Just as, jo just as Joseph suffered and was wrongly imprisoned, Jesus Christ was betrayed and he was wrongly sentenced to death. Just as Joseph served as a prophet who brought God's word and interpreted dreams to Pharaoh and others, Christ is God's prophet and he speaks to us with authority as the living word. Just as Joseph was exalted and raised up to the right hand of Pharaoh, we know that Jesus Christ was exalted and lifted up to the right hand of God the Father as the King of kings and Lord of lords. The nations, we're gonna see this. The nations are all gonna come and bow before Joseph to give him honor and purchase grain. You know what's gonna happen at the end in Revelation? Every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Finally, just as Joseph with grain saved many from death, Jesus Christ, the bread of life, he saves many from eternal death and damnation. Jesus himself proclaims, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. This is the connection that God wants us to see in the scriptures today. Church, this is the gospel message for us today. Not to try and become like Joseph. That is not the plan. Friends, if you're the type of person who reads the Bible and then tries to imagine yourself in that situation, I'm gonna be just like David and slay my Goliath, right? I'm just gonna be Samson and take down those Philistines, right? If that's how you read the Bible, I wanna say that's not the right way to read the saints of scripture. If you read the story of Joseph and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I've suffered too. And if I just wait and if I pray, I'm gonna get out of it and I'm gonna rise. I'm gonna be a CEO. I'm gonna be the, the, the principal of my school. I'm gonna be running things. I'm gonna get all of the power and influence just like Joseph. If that's your interpretation, friends, I wanna say that that is not God's word for you today. Rather, it's for us to realize that Jesus is the greater Joseph, that Jesus alone is able to save our families, that Jesus is the hope for our communities. Jesus is the hope for the world. And by giving his body, by shedding his blood, by rising on the third day and defeating sin and death, he secures not just an earthly blessing for people, he secures for us in the world an eternal security, an eternal blessing and hope in him. Today, would you remember Christ and would you remember his power, his matchless power and his matchless name and let's trust in him together. Let's pray together.
Father, we, we thank you for the story of Joseph. We thank you that it shows us your power. It shows us your ability. It reminds us that you never leave and you never forsake us, that you remember us and you fulfill your promises to us. We thank you for this great story. And Lord, we remember that we are not the fulfillment of this story, but rather that Jesus Christ is. And we thank you for the person and work of Jesus who has completely saved us. And he offers us to come and and eat a food, a a bread of life and a living water that, that we could not purchase on our own. We thank you that Jesus offers himself to us freely and graciously. God, I want to pray right now for any brother or sister here today who does not know where they stand in you. Would you call them to faith? Would you call them not to believe in themselves as the solution? Would you call them to believe on you as their hope, as their solution, as their savior? God, would you speak to them? Would you minister to them? Would you show them that Jesus Christ is mighty to save? Lord, for all of us, we pray that you would help us to be a people who trust in you, not just with a religious or an eternal mindset, but would you help us to trust in you daily? Help us to go to you for wisdom, go to you for counsel, go to you for help. God, may you be our true source of life. May your word be a light unto our path. We thank you in Jesus' name.